Jacob, I have a question for you. Okay. And that question <laughs> is, you know, you just got finished writing a book, Frightfully Empowered. Okay. You're in the process of writing another book. So you've put me to shame on books. However, my question to you is when you're writing these manuscripts, how do you maintain your voice when you, when you write? Because you're writing for a length of period, a length of yeah. time. It takes more than days. So how do you maintain continuity in your voice as you're doing that? Uh, I write fast. <laughs> I, honestly. Because it, because here's the thing, like each book or like each project, uh, I do, I do projects in like spurts. I think you kind of know this just from the way I work in every aspect of my life is pretty much if I have an idea, I jump to it and I kind of execute on it. And sometimes I delay that process, uh, Meaning, like, I, I, I might have the idea, and I won't really start on it, but something triggers, and then I just start going. Like, uh, when I wrote Teach Me Teacher, um, I wrote the first chapter about a year in advance, and then I went back, and I was like, oh, I know what to do with this now. And then I kind of just wrote it over, like, a six-month period. Uh, rightfully Empowered, I had the idea... Um, before you and I really started doing craft and draft, but one like the the podcast, and once it kind of started and we started going, the idea just kind of started percolating because there's stuff that we want to say in the craft and draft book that's very specific to merging reading and writing together. Um, and I was like, I have had this vision of something to help uh, teachers with the writing side, and so I jumped in and did rightfully empowered. I wrote rightfully empowered, um, probably in about the same time frame, roughly six months, but that isn't, that's not like every day. It's like, I wrote massive chunks, um, within like weekends and breaks. Like I wrote, I think like mm, 15,000 words on Christmas break on rightfully empowered. And so, I mean, that's like, uh, like a fourth of the book almost. So, uh, it is, and, and I just kind of do it that way. And what happens is I have found that when I do that and I'm just kind of going over it over and over and over again, uh, voice just kind of comes. I don't know. I feel like voice is something that, uh, and I, I think I talk to my students about this too, is voice comes about when you do it a lot, when you just kind of keep going and going and don't really think too much about it. I think your most authentic voice is when you're not too focused on trying to say something. It's like when you're passionate about something, when you when like, if you, anyone who's truly passionate can start talking and get other people to care about whatever topic it is, right? Like they can come up and be like, this is the origin of trains. And if they're super into it, uh, that energy, it really goes, I don't care about trains. I could care less about them, but I might listen to someone who's super into what they're doing. Um, and so that's, that's kind of where I try to be. I try to stick in that, that level of, uh, like if, if I'm excited to write about whatever I'm writing, then I feel like voice just kind of comes about. Now that's challenging to, to talk about in terms of people that haven't written a lot. So when you're working with students, it's really hard to say, oh yeah, just be passionate and write really fast. It's like that might, that philosophy doesn't work for people that really haven't put in the time. Although I will say, um, a lot of students and at this point in the year for me have already gotten to where they 
they they can sit down and like write a poem in a day, right? And then they just kind of sit with it. So I tell them, I'm like, just sit with these. You can write 50 of these poems. And then in a few weeks, you can decide which one you want to take to publishing for our class. Uh, and then kind of go from there. And that that's the process that if they can get used to that, it's, it's, it's close to emulating um, the writing process as I know it uh, in a classroom setting. So. Yeah, that's my that's my that's my advice to to keep voice. Write fast, write clear, write about what you care about, and voice usually comes. All right. Well, thank you for that answer there. Welcome to Craft and Draft. I'm Pam Ochoa. That is Jacob Chastain with all the wisdom of the world when it comes to writing and voice and everything else. But uh Go ahead, Jacob. Take it away. What are we going to talk about today? We are going to talk about something that I feel like is probably on everyone's mind. It's probably on our minds right now because spring break's coming to a close for us Texas teachers down here. It's a Saturday night, and Monday we are back to the grind and really the home stretch grind, right? We are mm-hmm. pretty much at the end of this road. Now we still got a little bit to go, but it is pretty much the home stretch. So we're talking today about how to navigate all the demands on teachers today. And I think we're going to put this in the workshop format, um, you know, because there's a, there's a lot of things we can talk about. We might, but I think when it comes to navigating everything that you have to do in your class with what you know should be happening within your workshop, because I think this is the, the catch 22 of kind of, uh, you know, for people that are interested in workshop teaching, and teach in public schools and have to do state testing and district testing and all this other stuff. Sometimes you can, you can lose your focus, right? It's the same way we talked about a few episodes ago where you come up with this great product and then it's all about the product rather than the learning. Well, sometimes we work in a system and all of a sudden it's been five weeks and you, there's no writing, there's no reading happening. All you're doing is test prep and that's a bad place to be for people that want to uh, teach workshops. It's not bad for everyone. Some people like that. Some people have great results. But we try to strive for more here on this podcast. And we know if you listen to us regularly that you do too. But before we get to that episode, I want to tell you that this episode is brought to you by our Patreon supporters over there at uh, patreon.com slash craft and draft. I always want to say craft and draft first. Um, but Sarah, Amy, Mark, Leah, Brandy, and Alicia, all supporters over there. Thank you very much for that support. You can go support us too and get access to now two bonus episodes of Craft and Draft. We're doing one a month until we get a little bit more people over there. Um, Once we get more, that'll increase. Uh, But one a month, we're up to two now. So there are two episodes that you will never hear unless you are a Patreon supporter and we answered some very specific questions. Went over an hour, so it's about two hours of content over there right now. Plus, a YouTube video about an hour and 40 minutes detailing the craft and draft process. So if you're new to the podcast and you want to know what craft and draft is all about, what they look like, how to do these journal systems, maybe you're hearing this in the summer and you're like, I need some PD that's really effective. Jump over there. There's probably going to be some stuff for you that you will like. But let's get to the episode, ladies and gentlemen. All righty. Miss Ochoa navigating all the things that teachers have to do? How do we balance it? So why don't you inform our listeners of the realities of the situation? We're going back to school, like I said, Monday, just two days from now, really a day. What do we ha- what do we have looking forward to? What's on our schedule this week that is something that we have to contend with? Well, one of the things we have is the state, uh, 
I guess, what is it, middle of the year test, so yep. to speak. And so uh, the state now gives that to us. We used to, that used to be uh, district directed, but now it's state directed. So I guess uh, we'll be doing that Thursdays. Isn't it Thursday or Wednesday? I can't remember. But anyway, it'll be doing this week. So now our problem is do, I mean, we've been preparing for these tests. This whole time, we have some students that are achieving at a high level. We have some in the middle and some that are just not quite there, but we've had a lot of growth. So we've got about two days there. So do you, so the decision is, do we continue with our research project, finish it up, or do I stop for a little bit longer, make, make them feel more comfortable with this test, or do I just let them write? I mean, I want them to write, but then do we read? Do we start a new novel or do we let them do a book club or do we continue to do maybe some poetry? Do we do this? Because part of our problem is we are not having the writing test from the state this particular year. They've kind of put that on hold. They're going to re, they're revamping the whole thing and they're going to send out a new type of testing next year which we haven't seen. We have some ideas of what it might be. So what that does then, it kind of puts a lot of pressure on the reading side of it, not so much on the writing side. So I think it's really hard to not let that seesaw, if you will, keep you up in the air on the writing and you're down on the reading, so to speak. So um, Anyway, I just find that some things that, that I feel like I need to juggle. Plus, I've got students, like I said, I've got several different levels. So uh, I know from the data what I need to do. My problem is, is how do I do that in a differentiated way? So those are things that are on my mind, Jacob. How about you, know, you? I mean, and that's the reality of where we are right now, right? We're in testing season, Everything happens at once. I mean, just looking at the testing calendar is something that could bring shivers down people's spines. And here's the thing, like even for us, which like we are very like we're focused on what we need to be focused on. But I feel like we don't belabor the point so much. But even us, like our, our like seventh grade team for specifically, we're I mean, we're competitive like any there was a test that went down where I was like the lowest and by like a massive point that just like or massive points. I should say I was not going to mention that. And well, I, we like to, I like to be honest on the podcast, but I was like, it was, it was low. And, you know, I was just like, Oh my God. And then we did another test after that, where we were all much more aligned, literally, uh, like by just like fractions of percents on stuff. Right. Um, which was cool. But like, so we're like that, like for people like, we, we, you know, we, we're not test obsessed, but we do have this competitive nature. And I know that for people out there that like, not everyone is on a team um, or in a spot where they feel uh, comfortable if like they did bad, like if like for when I did bad, like. I know, like, people looked at it, and everyone was like, ha, chest aid, right? I know, like, that stuff exists. But I, we're you're usually high. That's what I'm saying. So <laughs> We were all excited. So there's, I know, but we're on a team where we are, we're I comfortable. Mean, for ourselves. Yeah. 
but we're, we're comfortable like having that. If, if one of us goes down, like we might feel bad, like for us or whatever, but like, we don't, it's not like the end of the world situation where we don't feel like we're being judged necessarily on stuff like that. But the, I know that there's people out there where their, their teams are mean, right. Or there, there's like, there's unsportsmanlike conduct that goes down on some of this. And this is what testing season brings out. I think that's where a lot of these stressors come from is, you know, there's people who like they get dinged on like their appraisals and stuff. If their scores aren't a certain way or they, they kind of lose like their good graces with their admin or their team or the department chairs and stuff like that. And I think that's, I think that's at least one part of this that starts, it could lead to people overly focusing on what we don't necessarily want to focus on was just this, this, uh, this pure numbers driven. Can they answer all of these questions and stuff like that? And so I guess the question I'm leading up to, and just kind of what I'm thinking about verbally here is what are some of the tools that people should use to balance these things. Cause you, I mean, we're going to feel it. Like you said, we have the reading test coming up. We're not doing two tests. Um, so even for us who we know the value of writing, we know how much writing supports reading. We know all of these things. There is still an unseen pressure, so to speak of us going, you know, should I really be spending this much time here? Should I really be using my time here? So what's your thinking through this? How, how are you, uh, how have you balanced it in the past? Well, I mean, I, I'm a strong believer in that writing is a mode of learning. And so one of the things that I do want them to do is write to learn, not just write to express. So uh, sometimes when we're hunkered down on this test and, you know, the more they write about what they're reading, the more they respond to it, the more they make connections to it, the more they can make connections between the texts that they're reading, like um, their self-selected reading and any kind of required reading that we have uh, can't hurt them. And so I think uh, probably one of the things I need to do uh, is make sure that I check my schedule Uh, for that day or for my lessons and make sure that I do have writing in there. I have a tendency sometimes when I'm focused on one that I, I, I might really spend the whole period on it because, you know, I'm pretty flexible. So I have to make sure that in that schedule, I'm giving it equal time and that what they're actually writing can help them learn about how they feel or think about what they're reading, especially when it, since it's heavy on the, you know, on the, on the uh, reading side. So that would be something I would, need to consider. Um, and then I've got to look at all of their, I've already looked at all of their data. I've given the students their data. They all have post-it notes that say what they need to work on. So I'm going to try to use my canvas and see if I can create some independent type, um, I guess, assignments that can help them as well with that. So, and then maintain, uh, self-selected reading. That's very important. So they've already been to the library to make sure that they have their books. And then I'm going to see what our partner is going to do. And I might do maybe see if she's going to read a book or two. I think she's wanting to actually do a whole class novel. I'm going to uh, maybe check into that. Not quite sure. I did one last year and uh, I thought it went pretty well. So uh, I'll have to look and see if that's what I want to do. 
So those are things I'm thinking about as far as how to how to balance it. In the past, I just just always had to make sure I look at my schedule and make sure and then look at our standards and then just really make sure that I'm balancing as much as possible. Yeah. And I think for, I know we have a lot of elementary teachers uh, who -hmm. listen to this, but um, I know we have our secondary teachers too. And I feel like I don't, honestly, I don't know if people want to chime in and tell me, uh, then that'd be great. But I feel like for a, a problem that exist in secondary. And like I said, I don't know if this exists in elementary, but I know it exists in secondary because that's where I'm at is the fact that not only are our students going to be tested by the district or the state, I mean, in for like our subject, right? They're going to be tested in every subject. And that's on top of teacher tests, right? That we've had this battle all year of trying not to schedule our tests, which we give the least amount of any team. We give like the, literally the bare minimum that we need to do, um, to stay compliant with everyone and our, but even then every test we do, it, it lands on another test or it's right after a big test or something like that. And I feel like this is all this time, right? We're contending with an overly tested group who, when kids are overly tested, um, even if they don't care, right? Even the kids who are like, I don't care what I make, they're just like, whatever. It still applies a certain level of stress to them. The, the teachers are stressed because they're looking at all this data and a lot of it isn't what they want. And so that comes out even not intentionally. And so what you end up with is these really stressed times, in a school building. And that is sometimes the antithesis to a great workshop, because if the, I've always said that one of the great things about English class is that we deal with everything, right? Everything we do touches every part of the world. It's like, it's like we're, <laughs> it's going to be such a weird reference. It's like we're Mufasa taking Simba to the edge and saying, everything the light yeah. touches is yours, right? That's the, yeah. <laughs> I've never thought about that, but they, yeah, I guess so. That's the English classroom, right? And so we, we have to name this title of the episode, something like that. That's hilarious. But the, so that's the English classroom. And because of that though, that means that we explore a lot of things. We let kids write, we let kids read. There's a, there's, there are classrooms are uniquely flexible for this independent time that honestly can lower the stress. And that's the benefit of what we do. But sometimes I feel like we get the brunt of the worst behaviors at times, because if they go all day from bell to bell, just doing test prep, test prep, test prep, they end up in your class, Ochoa, last period when you're like, all right, so we're going to take some time. We're going to read silently. We're going to write. We're going to do all these things. Chaos ensues, right? We've seen it happen. You're shaking your head right now. I've, you know what my last block can be like. So it's th- this is the – I feel like this is the kind of the un – I don't think anyone really talks about this. So I think this is the first time we've ever verbalized on here is kind of how workshop can sometimes because of what it does for students, sometimes it becomes the outlet for students too. Right. And we want that outlet to be in reading and writing and make all of those progresses, but it doesn't always work like that. Sometimes our behaviors show up. And I think that's when, that's when things aren't working as well. I don't know. Do you see things like that every once in a while? Well, yeah, I mean, I can go the whole day. Because I, I really, mine, it starts out good. It goes well. Everything is doing great. And then, like you said, I don't know what these students have 
have been dealing with all day. I don't know, but they I know most of them have been together throughout the day because for some reason these kids are clustered in groups and they've lived with each other all day long. They're either mad at each other when they walk in or they're just like so excited to see each other again. And so, yeah, and then you say, okay, we're going to read silently. And they're all like, oh, no, we're not. We're going to talk. And they're just busy. just chatted up and I'm going, stop talking. You need to read. Remember we're reading. Well, I don't want to read right now. I mean, they don't necessarily say those things to me, but their behaviors are that. And so sometimes I just have to kind of let them, you know, it's kind of a balance because, I mean, I keep saying that word tonight, but it's, I have to really watch them because I can't let them get too out of control because if they get out of control, then I can't, I've lost the whole day. So I, but, but if I don't give them, if I sit on them immediately and make them and get kind of angry with them, if you will, my angry teacher voice, which I'm not usually angry when I use it, it's just a tool I have if I need it. And I'm like, sit down, you know, that kind of thing. Cause I really have a good one anyway. And they're all like, they just explode. That's just retaliation. You can't do that either. So, I mean, it really is, it's taken me a little while, this little group I've got at the end of the day. So I've got about five kids that are like off the wall. And then everybody else is like, can you just get them to be quiet? And so it's, it's a, it's kind of tough there at the end, but I can go all day long and it's like, I am the best. I mean, this is, I'm not really thinking that, but I'm just saying, oh my gosh, this is great. You know, all the stars have aligned. I'm probably the number one teacher ever. And then I guarantee you, I get to that seventh period class and it explodes. I mean, it's like the black hole and everything gets sucked sucked down into, including my attitude if I don't watch it. So yeah, I have a little trouble there. And 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 those are the group. That's the group. That's the group I have got to get to be successful. And they are, you know, kind of fighting me a little bit. But this last time when we looked at some of the data and I pulled them up and showed them where they've actually grown some. I noticed that that Friday, this I think we talked about it on that one of those episodes. Uh, on Friday, they were they were a lot calmer, and I think it's just uh, was very helpful to uh, show them that they have improved. Because I think part of their resistance is they really aren't doing well in all of their classes, partially because they play all day. I think. But uh, but they're fun. I I like the kids. That's not the issue. Yeah. The issue is they are not that great at reading. They struggle. They struggle. A lot of them are second language learners, but they've been here for a while and they still struggle. Does that make sense? They can speak the English. They can speak English. They can speak, uh, but they, they don't write in their own language. They don't read in their own language. They just speak in their own language. And so you're fighting their lack of education and their other language. And so as a result, I think they're just a little bit delayed. And so, but I think they've been, uh, I don't know. I, I just think they've had trouble to the point where, uh, you know, how unsuccess can breed unsuccess. And I've got to figure out a way to give them, get them successful. And, uh, but there's a lot of them. There's quite a few in that class. I mean, that's a, that's a huge topic too, right? Is the whole, yeah. You know, and I know elementary teachers deal with this too, just at various stages where, you know, the way our system is set up, you know, hardly anyone, like if they're behind, 
you know, in an ideal world, you know, they get the supports they need. They get pulled out to do whatever they need or schools have done something to support students who are behind. But, I mean, the reality is that there's a lot that never catch up, right, in reading and writing. We see this all the time. You know, there's kids that get to uh, my class in seventh grade who spell worse than my son who's in fourth grade in special needs, right? Like, and it's, it's not a slight on them. It's the, it's, it's a lot of things failing them, right? It's a system that fails them. It's the, it's their background of not having the, the certain privileges that a lot of people have where books are in the home and, and they don't live somewhere where they have to move all the time, right? It's the, you know, when you live in apartments, you don't have a bunch of books because books are a pain in the butt to move, right? There, it's just, and so it's, there's a lot of things that work against some of these kids. So by the time they hit middle school, we are now contending with uh, behaviors that are showing needs, and their needs are usually academic, right? There's other things that happen. We've talked about social emotional. I mean, all of that stuff exists. Right now, we're just focusing on this academic piece, but. A lot of the kids that struggle the most in our classrooms are kids that do so because they've kind of developed these, uh, I don't know, ways of acting that shields them from having to come into the reality that they read on a third grade level in seventh grade or various other things like that. Now, one thing I wanted to point out was you, and I've been thinking about this a lot. Um, I haven't really articulated it in a lot of ways because... I'm still kind of letting this idea percolate a little bit, but you kind of justified why we need um, the the standardized data a little bit because you said that you pulled them in and you talked about their stuff. You showed them how they were growing. You did all of this stuff. That's a perfect reason as to why some of this is valuable, right? Now, I would always push against any one data point being your only data point, but there's been... Like one of my uh, buddies over there on Twitter, his name is Matthew K. I've had him on the Teach Me Teacher podcast, but he's a Catholic school teacher and very conservative in some of his policies. And he loves the classics, you know what I mean? And he's just, you know, they read however many novels a year, but uh, he's very open. He's very wonderful to talk to. But one of the things that he brought up was how. Uh, standardized testing actually brought more equity to um, and more equality to our system because it uh, it showed that certain schools needed more funding. They needed more employment. They needed all of these things. Like Title I money is really a direct result of standardized testing to a degree, right? There's some other factors in there, obviously. Um, but so standardized testing, as much as people – hate it. And, you know, we've, I think we've shared our fair share of complaints about it on this podcast. Um, there is good there. There is reason. Now, could we develop better systems? Probably. Could we not punish schools for doing bad and put in an F on their campus if they do horrible? Yeah, probably we could do those things. <laughs> um, but just, just testing at its core, right? Multiple choice, something that's relatively standardized, something that's based on the standards, something that you can literally show from multiple angles, how kids are growing in their comprehension levels of various texts. Um, there's there's value there. And so I think that I, I think that's important to really hone in on here, especially during this time for us too, is 
we're we're never saying, and I, I get this from my mentors, it's never we're saying not this, this, right? Or not that, this. We're saying yes and, right? Saying don't ignore these standardized tests. It's like use them, but use them to also fuel your authentic work. Same the other way. Use authentic work to fuel the 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 path to something like a standardized test or something like that. And that balance, I think, is the tricky part, but... I don't know. I mean, so when it comes for like how you're, how you strike that balance of standardized testing, authentic stuff, do you have any methods or just ways of thinking, so to speak, to where people could maybe like some, give them something to think on in terms of that balance? How do you use, when you look at a standardized test, for instance, and you're looking at data, how do you use that to fuel something that might be an authentic practice in reading and writing or vice versa, whichever one you feel more comfortable with. How do you take something that you're doing authentically in reading and writing and then uh, work through that transfer over to something like a multiple choice test? Well, one of the things is, and we do this in the, you know, in our craft book. And that of course is where they, we let them know what the standard is. The students write that standard. They create a goal with that standard And so we always start with the standard, even when we do our mini lessons. So the students always know what standard we're working with. And so, you know, there's been debate on, do you put it in kid-friendly language? Do you not put it in kid-friendly language? I, you know, I don't know about the, like you said, the the elementary side of it, but um, I always fall under, you just give them the standard just like it's written. And then you teach them the language of the standard because, it's that language of the standard is where the, your test questions are going to come from a lot of the times. And so you teach them what that means. And so part of my mini lesson might be, uh, what does it mean to analyze? Or what does it mean, you know, so like, well, let's just say to analyze, where it says analyze, uh, you know, parts of speech. Well, no, I'm saying parts of speech, I'll saying because that just threw up, but that's not one of our standards. But, you know, analyze how plot, uh, what, how the character impacts the plot or how setting impacts the plot. Uh, and so they're analyzing it. So I might say, so, you know, we've talked about those things, but what does analyze really mean? And so we break that down and then you give them something to actually analyze and then they, and then they do it. Um, so part, partly is it's the fact that I begin with the standards and we write those in, in there. Then we do the, our mini lesson, but then when we're doing something like writing or we're responding, for example, my self-selected response that I have the students do when they they read their pieces and then I might have them do something like find um, a place where the author used figurative language. Okay. And so they write that down. What did the author mean? How did the author use that figurative language? So they're doing that in their own books right, that they're reading. And so I might ask them to find something and then talk about it. Well, then I will show them how does that relate on a question that they're going to be asked. So I might say something like this. I mean, we're doing the actual work, like we might be doing inferencing. And then I might say, okay, so this is what we're doing. This is what it looks like in real life. And you're doing this right now. You're using all of your clues blah, 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 right? Then I might come here and I say, but now you're going to also have to do this on a test. So on a test, this is how they question you. 
So this is what it looks like when they question you on a test over the skill you just did. So I, I actually directly show them the connection, uh, not every time, but I do it more and more as we get closer to the test. I don't necessarily start it that way, but the more we get closer to the test, the more I show them and I might even pull up a question and say, see how this is what, you know, what you just did. You used all these clues. Now let's see what clues are they asking you? That's the best clue. See, so they're giving you all these clues, but you're having to find the best one. So now we're analyzing our clues, you know, and so then I might show them that and then we go on and read something else. So I think a lot of times it's it's just my direct thing. Then we, uh, my direct uh, connection tied to it so that they can actually see. I try not to hide anything from them. I think sometimes what we do is we accidentally hide stuff, you know, and so, uh, and, and we do that because we just, you know, we might have them read their self-selected text. I'm just using that right now for my example as, because that's authentic. They've selected it. They like it. This is what they're doing. So we let them read, but then we move to the next thing a lot of times. And I think that's where people have trouble with, uh, principals have trouble with self-selected text because we just let them read it, but we never, we don't always tie it to our lesson. And I don't tie it to the lesson every day because I think sometimes they just need to read for fun because I think that's important. But other times I need them to read so that they can find the connection. I need them to visualize. I need to know that they're actually doing that when they're reading. So I might follow up with some questions, but then I'll tie that to the standard. Now they take their test, right? And then I'll say, you see this is, and we have, we use a program that shows them and I'll pull up on aware because we have that program. And, um, and it'll it'll show them what the standard is. Well, they have their, they don't always, but it's probably a, a good idea for them to have their book, their craft book. Where did you do the standard on their table of contents? Now you show them the standard, say, this is where you tested. Did you get it? Did you not get it right? Well, you didn't get it right. So uh, this is what we need to work on. Are you reading at home? Well, no, miss, I'm not reading. Okay, I'm telling you in these next eight days, eight weeks. I want you reading every night. It's very important because the only way to get better at inferencing is to read every night, different things, not the same old thing. Oh, okay. Okay. And so then I'll check back with them. Are you reading? Are you still reading? How's your reading life going? And so that's something that, that I do, but I tie it all back to that standard. And I use our, our, um, our program that we have that to show them that. So right after they take the test, some of them are still testing and I'll start pulling the kids up. They know to be quiet and I'll start pulling them up and uh, I'll show them what they do. And I'll have that conversation right then and there. So I try to make it pretty immediate. I I love that you, uh, I love that you brought in the, how we use kind of the two sides of the journal, because this is really the thinking that, drove us to use craft and draft anyway, right? Like <laughs> before we ever wanted to talk about any of this on a podcast or whatever, you know, what's so funny is I was talking to someone else and they were asking me how I do something. I just started talking about the journals, you know what I mean? And it was, just, it was just so second right. nature. Cause we've been doing it for a few years at this point. And right. uh, it's just so, I can't even imagine like the, our workshop without these, because that's what I do. Like if I fe- if I feel lost, like when I go when we come in Monday, you know, it's after spring break. There's testing. Monday's a normal day, but then there's testing after that. And it's just like, oh my god. 
my goal is to go back to home base, go through the motions of here's the standard. Here's what we're talking about. Here's our reflections of this. Hey, in your reading, let's focus on this, or maybe I'll have them set their goals. I don't know. And then just go through that whole process. And this is the the wonderful nature of if you're not using craft and draft, then just having something that you do every day. I believe in rituals, right? Going all the way back to the beginning of this episode, you were talking about like finding voice. You know, the the reason why I can churn out a lot of words, whether I'm working on a poem, a story, some type of professional book or whatever, an article, blog post, email, whatever I'm trying to do, is because it's a ritual. I write in the mornings at the height of my caffeine and I go until caffeine stops speaking to me. That's literally how <laughs> I operate. Uh, and I, it's just the, the doing something over and over again, it just trains your brain for, it, right? It's going to the gym every day. If kids know every day that they're going to do this, this, and this, it starts training them a little bit. Kids start reading at home and writing more at home. If they do it more in class, I think Donalyn Miller is the one who says, if we're not, if kids aren't reading in your classroom, they're not reading at home. Um, and I think that is vastly accurate. I think we've seen that. Now there, there's some other circumstances that affect that, right? That's not a hundred percent statement. Nothing ever is, but I think it's something that we should take into account. And so it's, it's kind of when we're looking at what to balance, it's, we don't in, in the, Say, for the sake of doing better on a test, you don't sacrifice what makes kids better readers and writers in English. You don't sacrifice writing time. You don't sacrifice reading time. You might sacrifice something else. You might sacrifice some vocabulary lesson that you did, like in terms of like not focusing on vocabulary, like an activity, right? You might sacrifice doing a, one less book at that week, right? You might sacrifice something else. You might use more passages that look more test-like just to get them into that mode. I think... Overly doing that, though, only giving them passages that are test-like is a great way to get your kids to start hating their lives and uh, disconnecting from your classroom. Only giving them test-like questions really struggles with that. But doing what you said of having them, you know, if we're analyzing uh, figurative language, then let's do that Monday through Thursday without any types of questions, official questions, right? The teacher's always Mm -hmm. asking questions. You're always probing them to think or whatever. But and just throwing that out there. Hey, let's look at this. Let's analyze practicing those annotation strategies, all of that. And then Friday, throw up something with an actual question that maybe they have to answer with writing. Maybe they have to answer in multiple choice and seeing how well they did. If they're rocking it, awesome, right? And then just constantly kind of going back between those. Um, maybe not waiting till Friday. Maybe doing it on Wednesday as a check, right? If you don't want to spend all week on a standard or two and you have more you got to fit in, then balancing it that way. I think all of this is just the the thinking we have to kind of put into this. And, you know, I think no matter what we choose, we're always going to be like, man, I should have spent more time on that. I should have done this. I should have done that. We always kind of look back at stuff and realize that maybe we should have upped it on something. But I, I think we can't stress enough that you don't get rid of what works. And the data's clear. Kids who read more and kids who write more do better on a variety of things, including standardized tests. And I think that's the the talk that, you know, we try to have with our PLC. We have a unique PLC because most of us are 
really philosophically aligned. So saying this, people are like, we know Chastain, this is what we're doing already. We don't need to talk about this. But, <laughs> you know, for people that aren't as fortunate as we are, I think, you know, maybe bringing that up, maybe having these conversations of, you know, how do we, how do we make sure we're not over pushing one thing, uh, in the hopes of raising scores. Um, I don't know. What do you think? Well, I think that's definitely something you could do in a PLC, you know, or at a team meeting where you all pull out what you've been doing and y'all just look at your time. And if somebody's struggling with something, then ask your team, how do you, how do you handle it? Uh, one thing that our teammate is really good at, and that's transitioning from one that's why she can get so much done because she actually trans she she works her transitions, and uh, that's probably I would say one of my weakest area is transition because, um, I don't know I just I I know it's important and I can do it but I'm more laid back in that area, but um, but she's got her agenda she's written it on the board. The students know every day exactly the order that she's going to do things in, and she follows that agenda, and she moves smoothly through, and one's connected to the next, connected to the next. So there's there's nothing disjointed about her agenda, and I think that's that's that ritual you're talking about. So I think if you're if you're wanting to self reflect, I think it is best if you can to self reflect with the team, and then ask each other for help. But I've also been on some teams in my lifetime where you you are that vulnerable and you're going to it's not going to go well for you because you have somebody because of that competitiveness especially at the high school level I that's where I saw that quite often was at the high school level more the middle school work together and I can't speak for elementary I'm sorry but I really can't and so but um so and that's the case, then you have to be self-reflected and, and do it yourself. And so I would spend probably at least every two weeks or something looking at your schedule. What have I accomplished? Look at your standards. Is there anything that I'm missing? And uh, I had somebody a, a while back that I worked with. She actually had all the standards on the wall that they have to do in that six weeks or that three-week unit. So she put all that she, they, we had a poster maker at that, at that school. And so she put it all on this poster maker. So it was real big. And as the students as she went through that list with the students, she would check off for herself, you know, but it was like a big poster on her wall and she would check off what they did. And that was, she always had in front of her and in the students, what they haven't done yet or what they've already finished. And so kind of kept both of them accountable. So I think that could be a practice you could do. I I don't necessarily do that. I have all that on my computer. Uh, We are, uh, we have a, a folder that we all share on our Google Drive that has exactly that same list. And so we can go through it. And when we meet, we talk about what have we not covered? What do we need to cover? Uh, what's going to be on the test? What's not going to be on the test? And we create our tests before we do our units. And I think that's another thing that we, that that's a good practice. And that's that backward design by Jim McTie. I think it's Jim McTie. But anyway, he did that whole thing on backward design where you plan your test first and then that way you know what you're teaching uh, and then you make sure it's all covered. So those are some ways that can help you, if you will, navigate through the things that have to be 
have to be done uh, in a classroom. So those are some things I've learned from other people. Um, I could probably get better at that, but oh well. <laughs> I don't know. I will. <laughs> I just I know what to do sometimes. Hey, have you ever been like that? You know what yeah. to do, but you're like, nah. It's like my life. Today. My life is doing that. <laughs> I'm lucky I do anything. Because I just, I struggle. But ladies and gentlemen, that's been Crafted Draft. Hopefully this helps you navigate these busy times. If you have a question specifically, you can send them to us. You can email us at craftedraftworkshop.com. But you can also get your question to the front of the line by joining us over there on Patreon where you can support the show. But also ask very specific questions that we may talk about in a bonus episode or bring over here to a real episode. We just kind of take these questions and see what we can do with them. See how they balance out. So if you want to know something, want to ask us something specific, let us know. That's Pamela Cho. I'm Jacob Chastain. We are two Texas teachers down here doing reading and writing workshop, hoping for the best during these crazy and busy times. Hopefully you're staying safe. Hopefully you are enjoying your time with your students and at your campus. But ladies and gentlemen, know that we are here for you. <laughs>